Introduction. As men's prayers are a disease of the will, so are their creeds a disease of the intellect. Emerson, Self-Reliance. Anyone glancing at the table of contents of this anthology is likely to see that much of it would not be considered religious poetry in Great Britain or in Britain's American colonies prior to the Declaration of Independence. Walt Whitman proclaims that he can now and always send sunrise out of me. Is that a religious sentiment? Just 19 years old, Emily Dickinson wrote a letter to a friend, Jane Humphrey, on 3rd of April, 1850, describing the poet's long, stubborn stand against being saved by the Second Great Awakening in Western Massachusetts. Christ is calling everyone here. All my companions have answered. Even my darling Vinnie believes she loves and trusts him, and I am standing alone in rebellion and growing very careless. Abby, Mary, Jane, and farthest of all, my Vinnie, have been seeking, and they all believe they have found. I can't tell you what they have found, but they think it's something precious. I wonder if it is. Dickinson's letters seem to me as powerfully composed as are her poems. Whitman and Dickinson remain much of the strongest of American poets. Frost, Stevens, Eliot, Hart Crane, Elizabeth Bishop, Ammons, Merrill, Ashbury are major figures, but are not of the eminence of the two great American originals. The eight I have just listed include only one Christian believer, the churchwardenly Eliot. Religious poetry in the United States has little to do with devotional creeds of the old world. I suggest that is because the American Jesus and the American Holy Spirit are the deities of what I follow Sidney Alstrom in calling the American religion. The Emersonian message was not a mere softening of traditional doctrines, but a dramatic and drastic demand for a complete recasting of religious life and thought. Like all Puritans, Emerson was an extremist. Some have argued that his was a benign and etherealized form of democratic individualism. Others have pointed to Emerson's parochialism, his puritanic suspicion of the theater, his perennial sermonic tone, his tendency to take the edge off every sharp romantic insight, his insistence on reducing philosophic discussion to a popular, even pedestrian level. Still others have made of him chiefly a literary rather than a speculative figure. There is a great deal of truth in all of these observations, yet they do not fully account for his obvious importance or explain why he is, with William James, peculiarly America's own philosopher. They fail to recognize that Emerson is in fact the theologian of something we may also term the American religion. Most important for our present purpose, none of these depreciations explain why such strident opposition should have arisen against him and those who came to share his outlook. The strident opposition is still there, though not as prevalent as it was a third of a century ago. T.S. Eliot had, had proclaimed 
though the essays of Emerson are already an encumbrance, and he wondered why Henry James has not carved Emerson up. Robert Penn Warren would assure me at our weekly luncheon together that Waldo was the devil, thus cheering me on to my graduate seminar on Emerson, which followed directly after. But then Alan Tate called the American sage the Lucifer of Concord and led in the cultural war against Emerson that goes on in the South until this day. Emerson, opposing the admission of Texas to the Union, rightly prophesied that Texas would destroy America, though President Bush II goes beyond even Emersonian admonition. Summarizing Emerson's religion is scarcely possible. He delighted in saying that to be great is to be misunderstood. A good enough starting point is to consider the American Jesus of the Divinity School Address, with which the Sage of Concord scandalized Harvard in 1838. Jesus Christ belonged to the true race of prophets. He saw with open eye the mystery of the soul. Drawn by its severe harmony, ravished with its beauty, he lived in it and had his being there. Alone in all history, he estimated the greatness of man. One man was true to what is in you and me. He saw that God incarnates himself in man and evermore goes forth anew to take possession of his world. He said, in this jubilee of sublime emotion, I am divine, through me God acts, through me speaks. Would you see God see me or see thee when thou also thinkest as I now think? But what a distortion did his doctrine and memory suffer in the same, in the next, and the following ages? There is no doctrine of the reason which will bear to be taught by the understanding. The understanding caught this high chant from the poet's lips and said in the next age, This was Jehovah come down out of heaven. I will kill you if you say he was a man. The idioms of his language and the figures of his rhetoric have usurped the place of his truth. And churches are not built on his principles, but on his tropes. Christianity became a mythos as the poetic teaching of Greece and of Egypt before. He spoke of miracles, for he felt that man's life was a miracle and all that man doth, and he knew that this daily miracle shines and as the character of sins. But the word miracle, as pronounced by Christian churches, gives a false impression. It is monster. It is not one with the blowing clover and the falling rain. See me or see thee is the center. Creed and prayer are not even at the circumference. There are three crucial components in Emerson's American religion the God within, solitude, the best and oldest part of the self, which goes back before creation. What will the poems of that religion have in common with Dante or with the holy George Herbert? Let me juxtapose Walt Whitman with his contemporary Gerard Manley Hopkins, who admired the little of the American bard he had read, 
but declined to read any more because he feared the identity he sensed between Whitman and himself. A bond both homoerotic and rhythmic. Writing to the poet Robert Bridges on 18th of October 1882, Hopkins seeks to deny Whitman's influence rather weakly, and then declares, I always knew in my heart Walt Whitman's mind to be more like my own than any other man living. As he is a very great scoundrel, this is not a pleasant confession, and this also makes me the more desirous to read him, and the more determined that I will not. To characterize the ministering angel of the Washington, D.C. hospitals during the Civil War as a very great scoundrel is sublimely absurd, even if you are a Jesuit priest and an Oxford gentleman. Our father, the old man Walt Whitman, was a greater poet than Father Hopkins and of a religion beyond Hopkins' understanding. G.K. Chesterton before he converted to the Church of Rome, gave a more accurate sense of the poet of the American religion. We have not yet begun to get to the beginning of Whitman. The egoism of which men accuse him is that sense of human divinity which no one has felt since Christ. Hopkins, I suspect, read more widely in Whitman than he cared to admit. That nature is a Heraclitian fire and of the comfort of the resurrection, written in 1888, echoes the sleepers with heaven roisterers in gay gangs, taking me back to Onward We Move, a gay gang of blackguards, as though the Jesuit renders tribute to the very great scoundrel who is certainly one of his forerunners. After the birth of the United States, we produced no devotional poets of high merit. Emerson's briefly inspired disciple, Jones Berry, celebrates only the God within, and while Eliot Ogden and Robert Lowell are included in this book because of their confessional stances of devotion, they do not, in my own critical judgment, equal Hopkins and Christina Rossetti, let alone John Donne, George Herbert, Henry Vaughan, and Richard Crashaw. So implicit and universal is the American religion that some of its poets can be unaware that they incarnate and celebrate it. Setting aside Emerson himself and our two grandest voices, Whitman and Dickinson, why should poems by such skeptics as Robert Frost, Wallace Stevens, John Wheelwright, Elizabeth Bishop, and May Swenson be regarded as religious. Hart Crane, who professed no Christian doctrine, became the American equivalent of St. John on the Cross in the poem To Brooklyn Bridge. A.R. Emmons, John Ashbery, and James Merrill, the strongest poets in my generation, have nothing conventional in their respective spiritualities, but Ammons and Ashbury bring us back to Emerson, Whitman, and Dickinson, while Merrill transmutes Yeats, Stevens, and Auden into creatures largely his own. Any distinction between sacred and secular literature is finally a political judgment, 
and therefore irrelevant in the realms of the aesthetic. The United States, already a plutocracy, flickers these days toward a theocracy. A theocratic America, doubtless, will distinguish between sacred and secular utterances, but Whitmanian democracy fuses them in the divinity of the self, which is our native understanding of the resurrection as an escape from history, that is to say, from European time. The resurrection is not a mediated event for American religionists, whether they be independent Baptists, Mormons, or Emersonians. The ancient Gnostics said that first Jesus resurrected, and then he died. Our singer of Song of Myself records a similar career. William James became the psychologist of the American religion and found in Whitman the archetype of healthy-mindedness. To recover the Whitman of William James and of Henry James after he had weathered his early savagery against the divine Walt is to recover not only the greatest American poet, but the grandest of American personae, Walt Whitman, one of the roughs, an American. Walt Whitman, in his great poetic decade, 1858, 1855-1865, wrote the authentic literature for the new world. I do not fear being called hyperbolical, since the critical sublime is precisely that. How great a writer was Whitman? No one since Whitman, not Henry James nor Marcel Proust, not James Joyce nor Jorge Luis Borges, nor anyone you can hope to name, is nearly as vital and as vitalizing as the visionary poet of Leaves of Grass. D.H. Lawrence was fiercely ambivalent toward his crucial precursor, but he at last got it right in the final version of Studies in Classic American Literature. Feeling himself to be more Whitman than Whitman himself could be, Lawrence thus took on the role of Christ to Walt's John the Baptist, but actually became St. Paul to Whitman's Christ. Here, though, is the best and most poignant prose tribute yet made to the artist-seer of Leaves of Grass. Whitman, the great poet, has meant so much to me. Whitman, the one man breaking away ahead. Whitman, the one pioneer. And only Whitman, no English pioneers, no French, no European pioneer poets. In Europe, the would-be pioneers are mere innovators. The same in America. Ahead of Whitman, nothing. Ahead of all poets, pioneering into the wilderness of unopened life, Whitman. Beyond him, none. His wide, strange camp at the end of the great high road. And lots of new little poets camping on Whitman's camping ground now. But none going really beyond. Because Whitman's camp is at the end of the road and on the edge of the precipice. Over the precipice, blue distances, and the blue hollow of the future. But there is no way down. It is a dead end. Pisgah. Pisgah sights and death.
Whitman like a strange modern American Moses, fearfully mistaken, and yet the great leader. The essential function of art is moral, not aesthetic, not decorative, not pastime and recreation, but moral. The essential function of art is moral. But a passionate, implicit morality, not didactic, a morality which changes the blood rather than the mind, changes the blood first. The mind follows later in the wake. Now Whitman was the great moralist. He was a great leader. He was a great changer of the blood in the veins of men. Matching Lawrence's praise of the sublime Walt in eloquence, Wallace Stevens actually was more accurate in giving us Whitman as precisely anti-apocalyptic rather than Lawrence's proclaimer of finalities. In the far south, the sun of autumn is passing, like Walt Whitman walking along a ruddy shore. He is singing and chanting the things that are part of him, the worlds that were and will be, death and day. Nothing is final, he chants. No man shall see the end. His beard is a fire and his staff is a leaping flame. Our prime shaman of the American religion affirms the blessing of more life. Death for Walt Whitman was an innocence of the earth and no false sign or symbol of malice. I do not find it useful to define Whitman's religion apart from his poetry, any more than I trust any social pronouncements in his prose, whether published or not. His sexual orientation in the poetry seems to me more onanistic than homoerotic. It is a paradox that Henry James, massively reticent in his novels, stories, and other writings, particularly in regard to his own homosexuality, may have experienced more actual erotic fulfillment than did the personally shy prophet of adhesiveness. Still, shamans traditionally have been androgynous, and of Whitman's poetic mastery of archaic techniques of ecstasy, I entertain no doubts. To discover an American achievement equal to Whitman's, I judge you need to fuse two brothers of absolute genius, William and Henry James. Since William composed the varieties of religious experience and the will to believe, no one would dispute his eminence as the prime philosopher-psychologist of our very original national religion. Our greatest American novelist scarcely seems a religious writer, let alone an occultist like the Balzac whom he so vastly admired. Yet the ghostly tales perpetually remind us that the master excelled at speculative connections, even in his major fictions. Relations, as Francis Wilson has noted, stop nowhere for the James family, who were cultly linked, as befitted the children of a Swedenborgian father. The idea of death is as richly ordered by the James brothers as by Whitman, yet they evade his Baroque elaborations, though both of them loved his lilacs elegy for Lincoln. 
William James had a less dialectical relation to Emerson than Henry enjoyed, while Whitman's debt to Emerson was so vast that he eventually tried to deny it. Henry James' American heroines are Emersonians, but oddly that was true also in The Scarlet Letter and The Marble Fawn. T.S. Eliot happily praised Henry James for possessing a vision of evil that Emerson refused to honor. But Eliot was mistaken in his Christianization of James, just as Eliot's disciple, Cleanth Brooks, erred in baptizing the fictions of William Faulkner. Eliot's vision of evil was gratified best by Christopher de Marlowe's The Jew of Malta. I wish Eliot had left some comments on Henry James' keenly appreciative count of the Yiddish Old East Side in the superb American scene, the master's return to what had been his New York City. In his own way, Henry James, like Whitman, contained multitudes. Again, like Whitman, the master of American prose fiction had a visionary sense of the uncertain borders between the living and the dead. Just as both apprehended the wavering line between maleness and femaleness, Emerson had no interest in either demarcation. You can name this healthy-mindedness, though part of my statement is now so politically incorrect as to seem outrageous. Clearly, I would hope I intend no offense, since Whitman and Henry James merely remain much our greatest imaginative writers. William James, like his father and brother, had something to intimate about a possible life after death, but as a psychologist, ventured no particular insights into homoeroticism. Sinuously, Henry did, particularly in The Sacred Fount, which shows an affinity with Whitman's distrust of heterosexual marriage. Shamanistic spirituality has little to do with healing marriages, and the author of the grandest American novels and tales was hardly a shaman. Walt Whitman, in an original way, was precisely that during his greatest decade of 1855 through 1865. He came as medicine and found himself most truly and most strange in the Civil War hospitals of Washington, D.C., Henry James, consciously imitating Whitman, visited the British wounding of World War II during his closing years, but not very effectively. We cannot think of the master as the good gray novelist. Amin Rihani, The Song of Siva. Tis night. All the sirens are silent, all the vultures asleep, and the horns of the tempest are stirring under the deep. Tis night, all the snow-burdened mountains dream of the sea, and down in the wadi the river is calling to me. Tis night, all the caves of the spirit shake with desire, and the orient heavens essaying its lances of fire. They hear in the stillness that covers the land and the sea, the river in the heart of the wadi calling to me.
'Tis night, but a night of great joyance, a night of unrest, the night of the birth of the spirit of the east and the west, and the caves and the mountains are dancing on the foam of the sea, for the river inundant is calling, calling to me. Renunciation. At eventide the pilgrim came and knocked at the beloved door. Who's there, a voice within, thy name? Tis I, he said. Then knock no more, as well as though a lodging of the sea. There is no room herein for thee and me. The pilgrim went again his way and dwelt with love upon the shore of self-oblivion. And one day he knocked again at the beloved's door. Who's there? It is Thyself, he now replied, and suddenly the door was opened wide. A Sufi Song My heart's the field I sow for thee, for thee to water and to reap. My heart's the house I ope for thee, for thee to air and dust and sweep. My heart's the rug I spread for thee, for thee to dance or pray or sleep. My heart's the pearls I thread for thee, for thee to wear or break or keep. My heart's a sack of magic things, magic carpets, caps and rings, to bring thee treasures from afar and from the deep. American Indian Songs and Chants, The Thanksgivings, Iroquois. We who are here present, thank the great spirit that we are here to praise him. We thank him that he has created man and woman and ordered that these beings shall always be living to multiply the earth. We thank him for making the earth and giving these beings its products to live on. We thank him for the water that comes out of the earth and runs for our lands. We thank him for all the animals on the earth. We thank him for certain timbers that grow and have fluids coming from them for us all. We thank him for the branches of the trees that grow shadows for our shelter. We thank him for the beings that come from the west, the thunder and lightning that water the earth. We thank him for the light, which we call our oldest brother, the sun that works for our good. We thank him for all the fruits that grow on the trees and vines. We thank him for his goodness in making the forests and thank all its trees. We thank him for the darkness that gives us rest and for the kind being of the darkness that gives us light, the moon. We thank him for the bright spots in the skies that give us signs, the stars. We give him thanks for our supporters who have charge of our harvests. We give thanks that the voice of a great spirit can still be heard through the words of Ganeo. We thank the great spirit that we have the privilege of this pleasant occasion. We give thanks for the persons who can sing the great spirit's music and hope they will be privileged to continue in his faith. We thank the great spirit for all the persons who perform the ceremonies on this occasion. This is to frighten a storm, Cherokee. Yuhahi, yuhahi, 
Yuhahi, Yuhahi, Yuhahi, Yuhahi, Yuhahi, Yuhahi, Yuhahi, Yuhahi, you. Listen. Oh, now you are coming in rut. Ha! I am exceedingly afraid of you. But yet you are only tracking your wife. Her footprints can be seen there, directed upward towards the heavens. I have pointed them out for you. Let your paths stretch out along the treetops on the lofty mountains. You shall have them, the paths, lying down without being disturbed. Let your path, as you go along, be where the waving branches meet. Listen. To go to the water, Cherokee. Now you have come to listen, long person. You are staying right here, helper of humans. You never relax your grip. You never let go your grip on the soul. You have taken a firm hold on the soul. I originated at the cataract, not so far away. I will stretch out my hand to where you are. My soul has come to bathe in your body. The white foam will cling to my head as I go on with my life. The white staff will come into my outstretched hand. The fire in the hearth will be left burning for me. The soul has been raised gradually to the seventh upper world. Is this real, Pawnee? Let us see. Is this real? Let us see. Is this real? This life I am living. You gods who dwell everywhere, let us see. Is this real? This life I am living. Ghost dance songs, Kiowa. The father will descend. The father will descend. The earth will tremble. The earth will tremble. Everybody will arise. Everybody will arise. Stretch out your hands. Stretch out your hands. The spirit army is approaching. The spirit army is approaching. The whole world is moving onward. The whole world is moving onward. See, everybody is standing watching. See, everybody is standing watching. Let us all pray. Let us all pray. My father has much pity for us. My father has much pity for us. I hold out my hands toward him and cry. I hold out my hands toward him and cry. In my poverty, I hold out my hands toward him and cry. In my poverty, I hold out my hands toward him and cry. That wind, that wind, shakes my teepee, shakes my teepee, and sings a song for me, and sings a song for me. God has had pity on us. God has had pity on us. Jesus has taken pity on us. Jesus has taken pity on us. He teaches me a song. He teaches me a song. My song is a good one. My song is a good one. Therefore, I must tell the truth, Navajo. I am ashamed before the earth. I am ashamed before the heavens. I am ashamed before the dawn. I am ashamed before the evening twilight. I am ashamed before the blue sky. I am ashamed before the darkness. 
I am ashamed before the sun. I am ashamed before that standing within me, which speaks with me. Some of these things are always looking at me. I am never out of sight. Therefore, I must tell the truth. That is why I always tell the truth. I hold my word tight to my breast. The Night Chant, Navajo, Prayer of First Dancers. In Tsegihi, in the house made of the dawn, in the house made of the evening twilight, in the house made of the dark cloud, in the house made of the he rain, in the house made of the dark mist, in the house made of the she rain, in the house made of pollen, in the house made of grasshoppers, where the dark mist curtains the doorway, the path to which is on the rainbow, where the zigzag lightning stands high on top, where the he rain stands high on top. O oh, male divinity, with your moccasins of dark cloud, come to us. With your leggings of dark cloud, come to us. With your shirt of dark cloud, come to us. With your headdress of dark cloud, come to us. With your mind enveloped in dark cloud, come to us. With the dark thunder above you, come to us soaring. With the shaping cloud at your feet, come to us soaring. With the far darkness made of the dark cloud over your head, come to us soaring. With the far darkness made of the he rain over your head, come to us soaring. With the far darkness made of the dark mist over your head, come to us soaring. With the far darkness made of the she rain over your head, come to us soaring. With a zigzag lightning flung out on high over your head, come to us soaring. With the rainbow hanging high over your head, come to us soaring. With the far darkness made of the dark cloud on the ends of your wings, come to us soaring. With the far darkness made of the he rain on the ends of your wings, come to us soaring. With the far darkness made of the dark mist on the ends of your wings, come to us soaring. With the far darkness made of the she rain on the ends of your wings, come to us soaring. With the zigzag lightning flung out on high on the ends of your wings, come to us soaring. With the rainbow hanging high on the ends of your wings, come to us soaring. With the near darkness made of the dark cloud, of the he rain, of the dark mist and of the she rain, come to us. With the darkness on the earth, come to us. With these I wish the foam floating on the flowing water over the roots of the great corn. I have made your sacrifice. I have prepared a smoke for you. My feet restore for me. My limbs restore for me. My body restore for me, my mind restore for me, my voice restore for me. Today, take out your spell for me. Today, take away your spell for me. Away from me, you have taken it. Far off from me, it is taken. Far off, you have done it. Happily, I recover. 
Happily, my interior becomes cool. Happily, my eyes regain their power. Happily, my head becomes cool. Happily, my limbs regain their power. Happily, I hear again. Happily, for me, the spell is taken off. Happily, I walk. Impervious to pain, I walk. Feeling light within, I walk. With lively feelings, I walk. Happily, abundant dark clouds, I desire. Happily, abundant dark mists, I desire. Happily, abundant passing showers, I desire. Happily, an abundance of vegetation, I desire. Happily, an abundance of pollen, I desire. Happily, abundant dew, I desire. Happily, may fair white corn to the ends of the earth come with you. Happily, may fair yellow corn to the ends of the earth come with you. Happily, may fair blue corn to the ends of the earth come with you. Happily, may fair corn of all kinds to the ends of the earth come with you. Happily, may fair plants of all kinds to the ends of the earth come with you. Happily, may fair goods of all kinds to the ends of the earth come with you. Happily, may fair jewels of all kinds to the ends of the earth come with you. With these before you, happily may they come with you. With these behind you, happily may they come with you. With these below you, happily may they come with you. With these above you, happily may they come with you. With these all around you, happily may they come with you. Thus happily you accomplish your tasks. Happily the old men will regard you. Happily the old women will regard you. Happily, the young men will regard you. Happily, the young women will regard you. Happily, the boys will regard you. Happily, the girls will regard you. Happily, the children will regard you. Happily, the chiefs will regard you. Happily, as they scatter in different directions, they will regard you. Happily, as they approach their homes, they will regard you. Happily may their roads home be on the trail of pollen. Happily may they all get back. In beauty I walk. With beauty before me I walk. With beauty behind me I walk. With beauty below me I walk. With beauty above me I walk. With beauty all around me I walk. It is finished again in beauty. It is finished in beauty. It is finished in beauty. It is finished in beauty. Song of the Sky Loom, Tiwa. O oh, our mother the earth, O oh, our father the sky, your children are we, and with tired backs, we bring you the gifts that you love. Then weave for us a garment of brightness. May the warp be the white light of morning. May the weft be the red light of evening. May the fringes be the falling rain. May the border be the standing rainbow. Thus weave for us a garment of brightness that we may walk fittingly where birds sing, that we may walk fittingly where grass is green. 
O oh, our mother the earth, O oh, our father the sky. Prayer to the deceased, Tiwa. We have muddied the waters for you. We have cast shadows between us. We have mad steep gullies between us. Do not, therefore, reach for an even a hair of our heads. Rather, help us attain that which we are always seeking. Long life, that our children may grow. Abundant game, the raising of crops. And in all the works of man, ask for these things all. And do no more. And now you must go, for now you are free. The creation of the earth, Pima. Earth magician shapes this world. Behold what he can do. Round and smooth he molds it. Behold what he can do. Earth magician makes the mountains. Heed what he has to say. He it is that makes the mesas. Heed what he has to say. Earth magician shapes this world. Earth magician makes its mountains. Makes all larger, larger, larger. Into the earth, the magician glances. Into its mountains, he may see. Special request for the children of Mother Corn, Zuni. Perhaps if we are lucky, our earth mother will wrap herself in a fourfold robe of white meal, full of frost flowers. A floor of ice will spread over the world. The forests, because of the cold, will lean to one side. Their arms will break beneath the weight of snow. When the days are thus, the flesh of our earth mother will crack with cold. Then in the spring, when she is replete with living waters, our mothers, all different kinds of corn, in their earth mother, we shall lay to rest. With their earth mother's living waters, they will be made into new beings. Into their sun father's daylight, they will come out standing, yonder to all directions. They will stretch out their hands, calling for rain. Then with their fresh waters, the rainmakers will pass us on our roads. Clasping their young ones in their arms, they will rear their children. Gathering them into our houses, following these toward whom our thoughts bend. With our thoughts following them, thus we shall always live. Dear Song Yakui. There he comes out, there from the enchanted house. I come out from there. There he comes out, there from the enchanted house. I come out from there. There he comes out, there from the enchanted house. I come out from there. There he comes out, there from the enchanted house. I come out from there. Over there I, in Yek. Vuku Yolemi's flower-covered flower patio have sparsely flowered antlers. There he comes out, there from the enchanted house, I come out from there. Shaman's Song, Modok What do I remove from my mouth? The disease I remove from my mouth. What do I take out? The disease I take out. What do I suck out? The disease I suck out. What do I blow about? The disease I blow about. 
As a head only, I roll around. I stand on the rim of my nest. I am enveloped in flames. What am I? What am I? I, the song, I walk there. I, the dog, stray. In the north wind, I stray. An arrow point, I am about to shoot. A bad song, I am. The earth, I sing of. Shaman's song, Inuit. The whale, the beluga, the hooded seal, the salmon, the caribou, the ground seal, the walrus, the polar bear, the fox, the bird, the wolf, the bone.